This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from normally sunny but today cloudy Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from normally cloudy but today sunny Massachusetts. I write uh, a blog called Law Sites, another blog called Media Law. And uh, Craig, I know you write a blog too. I do. It's called May It Please the Court. And we're going to move in today to today's discussion Back in January 2007, hard to believe, uh, half a year ago, we had a discussion on the different branches of international employment law with an attorney from the U.S. and employment law practitioners from the U.K., Germany, and France. After the show was taped, a group of attorneys have traveled to Asia to learn about their legal system. That, uh, that delegation of attorneys, all members of the executive committee of the international law section for the Los Angeles County Bar Association, have just returned from their 13-day stay in Asia, uh, where they met with numerous bar associations, law firms, and government officials in Hong Kong and Shanghai. On today's Lawyer to Lawyer, we will talk to these three attorneys and discuss with them their trip and ask them about the development of the legal system in China, what they learned, and what they're bringing back to our legal system here in the States. We'll also speak to another attorney who will give us his outlook on his experience as a lawyer in Hong Kong. So I'd like to welcome our first guest to the program. He's a returning guest on Lawyer to Lawyer, uh, Nick Conan from the firm Conan Wood and Scheidemantel, located in Los Angeles, California. Nicholas and his law firm litigate business disputes in California, around the United States, and around the world. Nicholas also counsels domestic and foreign companies and executives on a variety of employment-related issues. Nicholas is the current chair of the International Law Section for the Los Angeles County Bar Association, and he recently led a delegation of attorneys to Hong Kong and Shanghai. Welcome to the show, Nick. Pleasure to be here. Well, Bob, our next guest is attorney Malcolm McNeil. Malcolm is a partner in the Los Angeles office of the Hawaii-based law firm Carl Smith Ball. Malcolm is also the chair of the firm's China Practice Group, and he's been representing Chinese clients in the States since the late 80s and travels regularly to China since 1993. Malcolm's practice areas include international business litigation on one hand and advising clients seeking to do business in China and advising Chinese clients wishing to establish companies and trade relations in the U.S. on the other hand. He was a member of the delegation to Shanghai and Hong Kong and is a member of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations and the American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai. Welcome to the show, Malcolm. Great to be here. And finally, joining us is Neville Asherson, a senior partner in the law firm Asherson, Klein, and Darbinian, which is a boutique immigration firm in Beverly Hills, California. For more than three decades, his law firm has successfully helped all kinds of people from all over the world with their difficult and complicated immigration problems, including consular process at U.S. consulates throughout the world, deportation defense, and federal litigation and appeals against the U.S. government. The firm is guided by the words of Napoleon Bonaparte, who said, quote, impossibility is a word only found in the Dictionary of Fools. And the firm applies this statement to the practice of immigration law. Welcome to the show, Neville. Good morning. 
Well, Nick, you just returned from Asia. You spent some time in Hong Kong and Shanghai with a leading delegation of attorneys from L.A. What was the purpose of your delegation? Well, uh, let me say at the outset, it's good to be back on the show with you, uh, Craig and Bob. I think uh, the last time I was on your show, I, I told you we were receiving a number of legal delegations in Los Angeles from China. Uh, I think in the past year we had about six to eight different legal delegations from China. So we decided, the uh, international law section of the L.A. County Bar decided that it would be beneficial for the bar here in Los Angeles to coordinate a delegation from Los Angeles to, to Asia for basically three purposes. Uh, first, uh, part of the purpose of the international law section uh, for the L.A. County Bar is to build and maintain relationships with other bar associations and legal practitioners from around the world. So we wanted the delegation to build upon and expand the legal relationships that we, uh, we have and are developing uh, in Asia. Uh, second, our delegation was also designed to gain a better understanding of the changes in the legal landscape uh, that exists in China, uh, particularly given the changes that are occurring uh, today, and, and to share this information with our membership to assist our members in their business and, and legal dealings. And then third, I think all of the delegation members were driven a little bit by uh, selfish motives, too, in developing relationships that might lead to developing more uh, business within their practice areas. Um, so to try to fulfill all of these uh, object objectives, we spent two weeks uh, meeting with bar associations in Hong Kong and Shanghai. Uh, specifically in Hong Kong, we met with the Law Society in Hong Kong, which is the Solicitor's Bar Association, and the Hong Kong Bar Association, which is the Barrister's Bar Association. And in Shanghai, we met with the Shanghai Bar Association, uh, we also met with numerous attorneys and law firms, both in Shanghai and in Hong Kong, uh, both U.S. law firms uh, with offices in China and Chinese law firms. And we met with various government, uh, Chinese government officials and our own consulate officials in both cities. And, and finally, we also met with a variety of business people, ranging from entrepreneurs uh, who, you know, for example, do uh, business and financing litigation in Asia, to accountants, to import-export specialists. So we, we covered a lot of ground and spoke to a lot of people in the two weeks that we were in Asia. Well, let's, <clears throat> let's bring Malcolm into this conversation. I, Malcolm, I understand that, that you, uh, this was not your first trip, your first travel to China in, for business in 1993. Uh, that's, uh, in those 15 years, what, what kinds of changes have you seen in, in the Chinese legal system, uh, and what, what are some of those changes? Well, um, they've been remarkable, to say the least. Uh, you know, we, every day we read stories everywhere about uh, Chinese business and investment in China, but the, the stories that we typically read are not the stories that affect the typical client, because General Motors establishing a plant in China or Coca-Cola establishing a bottling plant are, are far removed from the, from the normal day-to-day -day clients that go to China looking for help and manufacturing manufacturing products or uh, trying to find a joint venture partner who's reliable to help them in manufacturing something. And in the 90s, the pr biggest problem was the Chinese side was always looking for money and capital. And it was very hard to, to really do a, a, a typical Western-style due diligence on those companies. And what you ended up doing was relying on instinct and, and the uh, Chinese concept of 
guanxi, which is the relations and how you've been given the introduction to the to the parties. And now what has happened is that um, it, for those companies where risk is a, is a major factor because if an investment goes sour in China, it could very well impact the integrity of the company. And so what we've been able to see now is that if, a, if you're interested in doing business with a joint venture partner in China, more information is available to you, more accessibility, uh, more conformance to what we would call the Western method of accounting principles, um, and the legal system itself has uh, modernized because we see that in the early days, the, the, those delegations that Nick talked about earlier were also delegations of law firms that were thirsty for knowledge. They've come to the States, and what they've done is they've uh, taken our know-how appropriately and have brought it home and have formed their own law firms to be able to advise clients on issues of uh, that are that are directly relevant to, for example, joint venture financing, uh, public-private partnerships, and in, in infrastructure. So what's happened is, is that the it's become more easy for us as lawyers to be able to be cautious with clients, but to perform our duties in a way that's a little bit more. Um, uh, in conformance with our training. Well, Neville, you're an immigration attorney, and I understand you've heard a lot of people complaining when you were in China about the problems of gaining access to the United States for travel and securing visas. Is this a problem, and what can be done to alleviate the problem? Well, I think that, uh, first of all, everybody coming to the United States is presumed to be an immigrant, and every immigrant has to comply with the immigration laws as well as the time periods required that applies to visitors for business and for pleasure. Um, the concern of the uh, consuls all over the world is single, young single women, single people who have no ties to their home country, who are in low-paid positions, low-paid jobs, etc. <clears throat> they don't intend to return. There are other categories of visas, for example, the L1 and the H1, where uh, that doesn't apply. The uh, consuls uh, also investigate um, L1 applications, and they could investigate in various places H1 applications on the basis of the people are producing fake documentation or <coughs> fake uh, letters and fake uh, employers and so on. Uh, as far as the H1 is concerned, all the numbers for the next fiscal year, which starts on October the 1st, have already been used up, so there's nothing available until the fiscal year, which goes into uh, next year, uh, in October, uh, unless the Congress increases the numbers, which may or may not happen. Um, the President has recently announced that uh, we, we, we welcome foreign students. That's always been the U.S. policy, but there have been changes in it from time to time. And I'm assuming that as a result of, of his announcement that the consuls will want to give uh, more visas to more students. Um, I've come across uh, a Harvard MBA in China who, who went back to China after getting his MBA and when I said to him, you know, what made you come back to China? Why didn't you stay in the U.S.? Surely you, with the Harvard MBA, you would have had outstanding prospects over here. He felt that he had a better chance in China 
to uh, be able to do things. And at the time, he was working for a major Chinese company. Nicholas, let me come back to you and ask about uh, the the uh, role of, I guess, of, of U.S. lawyers uh, with regard to doing business in China. I mean, we've we've heard of a number of U.S. firms attempting to establish uh, footholds there. Uh, although, as I understand it, they they still have to be affiliated with a with a Chinese firm in some kind, some way or shape or form. Uh, but what are what are the challenges for U.S. lawyers wanting to? Uh, either represent U.S. clients in China or even get involved in, in representing clients uh, directly in mainland China? Well, there, there's, uh, there's significant restrictions on non-Chinese lawyers in terms of what they can do within China. It, it's different uh, somewhat, uh, although there are some similarities, but it's different somewhat than here in the United States. So, for example, um, in California, I am licensed to practice law here. I can go ahead and advise uh, companies and do things here within California, advising them on California law, practicing before the California courts. However, if I want to go to another state, um, I have restrictions in terms of my ability because I'm not a member of the bar in those states, but I can often apply Proc Vice to be admitted for a particular case, and that allows me, as long as I have a local counsel, to function uh, in a litigation and actually play a serious or significant role, even try a case in another jurisdiction where I'm not admitted. That's not exactly the way uh, it works in China. Um, there are there is the ability for U.S. firms to and lawyers to become registered as uh, foreign law firms, uh, and there's a process that they have to go through. I, I think it's usually taking about a year for the paperwork to be processed. But even if you are a foreign registered lawyer in China, you cannot advise people on Chinese law. The only individuals who can advise people on Chinese law are people who are members of the Chinese bar uh, there in China. You can advise um, uh, people on the law for the state uh, in which you are registered, or if you're from a a different country uh, that doesn't have the state regulation system like we have, you can advise them on your country's laws, but you cannot advise them on uh, on Chinese laws. And that's been a source uh, you might have read in the paper of some friction uh, with some firms uh, at, at times being viewed as pushing the limits a little bit on uh, on, on what they are doing uh, in in China. But there are uh, some pretty significant restrictions in terms of what uh, uh, firms are permitted to do in China. Well, Neville, you have, uh, you've been traveling back and forth to China and, and along with um, Malcolm and for some many years, what changes have you seen in the legal system, and how does it affect uh, how immigration has changed over the years? And what did you notice during your trip recently? Well, uh, what I see is that uh, I've also been going to China for many, many years, and um, uh, apart from the, the big Chinese businesses that I came across, there were lots of small Chinese businesses. I mean, there may have been large businesses in China, but small in the context of. Uh, U.S. businesses, and the uh, businessmen were uh, looking to send their wives and their children uh, here to school. They wanted the children to go to school. They wanted the wife to come with them, and uh, they were not really interested in doing business over here. I think that today uh, there seems to be a different situation in that uh, the largest Chinese companies are buying up 
businesses or investing in businesses all over the world. And the uh, smaller people are going to be um, doing the same thing. And uh, the the U.S. consuls that we met with in in both Hong Kong and Shanghai uh, certainly had the uh, attitude that there's many, many, many wealthy Chinese and many uh, established businesses in China, which I think is a different attitude to what they they, they had before. Um, and the Chinese businesses are going to be doing uh, investing in the U.S. and will therefore be doing the same as the uh, Japanese did, the Koreans, and um, and. Uh, other countries uh, have done where they've uh, taken over companies or done joint ventures with companies and sent executives and managers uh, or people with specialized knowledge to to run those companies. Uh, I think we're going to see more of that uh, and uh, what happened with the, in Japan and in Korea is going to happen with China uh, where the companies are going to get bigger and bigger and uh, become, I think, a major force in uh, the the U.S., uh, the same as the Japanese companies have and the Korean companies. Malcolm, I I wanted to ask you, we're getting close to the end of this segment, uh, and and we haven't had much time to talk, but I wondered, uh, before we end, if you could just kind of give us uh, your your overall impressions of of what you've taken back from this trip and and, uh, what you'll be looking to do with this information going forward. Well, I'm grateful that I have uh, the benefit of um, the... 1993 to present experience because time gives you a way of dealing with the perspective. And one addition to what Nick was saying is that in the early days, firms were welcomed into China in order to um, uh, help expand the uh, legal profession and develop rules and regulations. And I was on an early delegation for the ABA giving advice on that. These days, the firms now it's becoming more of a competitive marketplace. So you see competitive forces uh, uh, striking each other about whether or not uh, you have too many Western firms, not just U.S., but Western European firms going in and um, developing offices and as a consequence uh, possibly taking the limited business, which does exist in China, for the the, the big deals, if you will. The, the main thing that I've seen uh, is that uh, – it is more comfortable now for the medium-sized firm to go to China because they are, they're more comfortable with the mechanisms in place to protect them. From the Chinese perspective, when I represent Chinese clients here coming into the U.S. that are now flush with capital, which in the 90s they were not flush with capital, so they had no money, and there was this large sucking sound of uh, money and technology into China. Now they're a little bit more discriminating on, on what they buy and where they buy their property. So the good news is they've, they've become acclimated to Western standards and expect uh, a little bit more due diligence from us when we're advising them. We're reaching the end of this segment, so um, Neville, can we get your contact information so our listeners can reach you? Yes, my office is in Beverly Hills, California, uh, which is uh, part of Los Angeles, and uh, the telephone number is 310-247-6070. 
uh, and we have an 800 number, 800-400-4055. That's a national number. And our email address is uh, my partner uh, responds to the email, ad at asherson.net. And we have a website, uh, akd.com. Well, Malcolm, can we get your contact information as well? Sure. I'm, I'm with Carl Smith Ball in downtown Los Angeles. My telephone number is 213-955-1619. That's a direct line, fax 213-623-0032. And my email address is M-M-C-N-E-I-L, that's McNeil at carlsmith, C-A-R-L-S-M-I-T-H dot com. Wonderful. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for participating today. Uh, It's time for a short break. When we return, we will welcome back Nick Conan, and we'll be joined by Roderick Miller in Hong Kong. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Bye-bye. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit for your continuing legal education. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayitpleasethecourt.com, Likewise, Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We'd like to welcome back Nick Conan from the firm Conan Wood Scheidemantel 
and welcome our next guest to the program, Roderick Miller. Uh, Roderick Miller was born and raised in Hong Kong. He's the lead partner in the law firm of Miller Pert, which is based in Hong Kong. Rod counsels and represents businesses and individuals in a variety of business matters, including, in particular, entertainment-related matters. His clients have included uh, Asia of Real Madrid, uh, where David Beckham played his first game for the team in Beijing, Bon Jovi, Brian Adams, Warner Brothers on Ice, and David Copperfield, uh, who, who disappeared from his client roles, unfortunately. Uh, we, uh, I'm just kidding there. Uh, he was promoted in Asia during Mr. Copperfield's groundbreaking tour of China. Rod joins us today from Hong Kong, where it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, so we really appreciate his making the effort to be with us. Uh, welcome to the show, Roderick. Morning, 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 gents. Thanks very much. Yeah? Well, Roderick, Hong Kong is frequently described as the new gateway to China. Uh, what does that mean? Well, Craig, I mean, as, as, as Bob very kindly said, I was born and brought up in Hong Kong, and my family had been here um, since the early 50s. My dad was in the government for many years. Uh, I guess you really need to have a very short history of Hong Kong to really know what it's meant, um, this part of the world. It was originally, as you know, a British colony. It was a trading post for, for trade between Britain and China way back in the 1800s. Um, since then, it's, it's kind of um, always been the central trading Asian post for Britain. In the last 50 years since the, the Chinese Revolution in 1949, many um, Shanghai traders in particular came to Hong Kong. Uh, you'll probably be aware that for many years, goods that were made in Hong Kong was was always kind of a, a moniker for cheap goods. But in the last 30 years, it's 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 really changed from a manufacturing base, which which has been pushed up to, to, to I guess, what I would say north of the border into China. And Hong Kong now is the gateway to China in respect of um, a rule of law, a, a great place to do business, and, and above all, probably Asia's biggest financial center. So it's changed over the last couple of hundred years, but I'm, certainly in my view, it's always been a gateway um, in, in one sense or another. How do you see the differences for a U.S. business doing business in Hong Kong versus one in mainland China? Well, again, a little bit of a history lesson there, uh, Craig, if people don't know that, that, that it's actually 10 years next month since uh, China took Hong Kong back. And the arrangement that was made is that, uh, that, that we have now what we call one country, two systems, where even though we are a part of China, we uh, still operate under English law. Um, we have a, uh, an extremely effective, efficient legal system, an extremely effective civil service. Uh, our courts are in English. Uh, English is the national language, uh, as is Cantonese, which is a Chinese dialect. Um, literacy rates are 100% in both languages. Um, we have zero corruption. Hong Kong's been voted uh, the ten, in, in the last 10 years continuously the freest economy in the world, whereas in China, um, even though Chinese law, which I, I, I study quite, uh, and, and, and part of my business is, is Chinese law, customary Chinese law, is really adapting to, I, I would say, the more modern ways of looking at doing business. Um, having said that, China is very quickly coming up to speed. And where there are differences in application, I believe there's really no difference in the bottom line in doing business in terms of, of principles. It's just that it's not, it's not how you do it, it's the way you do it. What about from the point of view of uh, uh, U.S. businesses uh, operating 
overseas uh, and their uh, the attorneys who who help them do that. Is there an advantage to a U.S. business in working with a lawyer or a law firm that is uh, trained and native to Hong Kong as opposed to a, a U.S. firm that that goes over there and sets up shop in Hong Kong? Well, you know, Bob, without wanting to to, to sound as though I'm being paid by the Hong Kong government. <laughs> Um, there's been developments uh, in the last two or three years, and again, it's a, it's a kind of historical thing, is that China has always been perceived to be, you know, a huge monkey in, on, on Hong Kong's back. It was, it was Hong Kong's problem. We were always going to be, be handed back to the motherland. And in fact, what's happened is that Hong Kong has taken total advantage of the situation as being uh, kind of in and out of China at the same time. The Chinese have been very clever. What they've done is they've nurtured Hong Kong, they've protected it, and now they've brought in a, 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 a trade agreement. It's a little bit like your equivalent, or our equivalent, I should say, of your NAFTA. It's a trade agreement called CEPA, C-E-P-A, Closer Economic Partnership Arrangement, a little bit clumsy name. But basically that gives Hong Kong lawyers, in particular, the much greater audience in China, much greater recognition um, the Chinese authorities recognize uh, Chinese, uh, Hong Kong qualified lawyers. Hong Kong um, lawyers can enforce judgments a lot easier in, in, in China. So, I mean, my, my, my view would be that, that if anybody wants to do business in China for, uh, for reasons that have been introduced under this new agreement, A, Hong Kong is the place to do it, and B, if you are going to get into a, a, a legal situation, Hong Kong lawyers definitely do, under this new agreement, have far greater uh, have a far greater ability to, to get into um, the courts in, in in mainland China. Well, Nick, you've just returned from there. What's what's your take on that from from the perspective of a U.S. lawyer? Yeah, I think Rod is absolutely right. I mean, uh, there are, as I uh, said earlier in the uh, in the show when Malcolm and Neville were were joining us, that uh, there are significant restrictions on what a U.S. lawyer, even a foreign registered lawyer, can do in China. And uh, what Rod is saying is as a result of uh, Hong Kong now being a part of China, as China starts to open up its legal system a little more to uh, the ability of, of foreigners to function within the mainland system, uh, it looks like the uh, the first door, uh, at least a, a crack that is being opened, is being directed to Hong Kong, uh, a, a brother of sort, even though now a part of uh, of the family, uh, which gives the Hong Kong uh, legal community uh, a bit of an upper hand uh, when it comes to uh, swimming within China. So there's there's certainly at the moment uh, some advantages of uh, of going through Hong Kong and going through an attorney who is uh, fully functional in Hong Kong uh, versus uh, you know going uh, through a U.S. firm, which has uh, greater restrictions. I do believe, however, if we look forward to the future, that as the business uh, ties uh, continue to get stronger and stronger, that necessarily China is going to liberalize and relax the ability of foreign lawyers to function, much like foreign lawyers can function here in the United States. I mean, they can come over here, be educated, as many of them uh, were when we met with them in China, and take the bar in the state and then become a fully functioning lawyer within the state. That is not possible at the moment for a U.S. lawyer. I cannot go over and sit for the Chinese bar. 
I simply can't do it. Uh, that is limited to, uh, to Chinese nationals. But I think this is an evolving process. You have to recognize that China, its legal process literally is about 20 years old, uh, given the, uh, the changes that are being put in place and the amount of uh, progress that China has made economically moving since 1978, 400 million people off of the poverty rolls, um, and now having a, the poverty level go from around 50% to uh, 10% or less is pretty, pretty amazing. And so as this is a, as an evolving process, uh, I think you're going to pr- uh, likely see in the future more liberalization. But as it stands now, Hong Kong bef- uh, attorneys and the legal community becomes the first beneficiary of that. Well, Nick, there's a big dispute brewing between China and the U.S. before the World Trade Organization. Can you give the U.S. side of it and what do you think the effects would be? And then we'll ask Roderick to follow up on the Chinese side and what effects are from his perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that that is a uh, that is a dispute that is a significant dispute in the in the past on the WTO disputes where there's been concerns about uh, the Chinese government helping Chinese firms and providing subsidies to allow them to, uh, from the U.S. perspective, unfairly compete in the marketplace. They have been more more isolated cases uh, on specific products. The, the uh, complaint that was just recently filed is a very broad uh, complaint that essentially tackles the uh, you know, the, a broad policy of the Chinese government to assist uh, Chinese businesses in, co- in competing in the marketplace from the U.S. perspective in violation of the uh, World Trade uh, Agreements. Um, that, and I'll let Rod speak uh, to this, but that could have some uh, significant impacts on the relationships not only between the two countries um, uh, and in terms of, um, uh, of their trade dealings, but it could also have an interesting dynamic with respect to Hong Kong, because I, I am not sure, and maybe Rod has some more information about this, I am not sure whether, for purposes of that dispute, if there were sanctions, for example, whether those sanctions would apply equally to Hong Kong in terms of, um, in terms of the restrictions on, on trade and, uh, and what have you. Hong Kong could, if, that were, if this dispute were to go the distance, become a significant beneficiary, again, becoming a bigger gateway to China, uh, if those uh, the trade uh, dispute sanctions were not imposed on goods coming in and out of uh, out of Hong Kong. So maybe Rod can provide a little more information on that. Well, uh, Nick, you're absolutely right. And I mean, in a way, this is the first time since, uh, since the, the, the handover that this has really become an issue. Can I say that as part of the CEPA um, progress that, 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 that Hong Kong is being allowed to make within the mainland, um, Hong Kong is very much now its own deal, its own entity. Even though we are part of China, we have our own currency, we have our own government, um, we, 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 uh, you know, we have our own certificates of origin. Things are not made in China that come out of Hong Kong. There may be an argument that the majority of, of, of goods in, in some circumstances are mostly made in China, but you know, I just hope that, that, that the U.S. Doesn't, uh, doesn't penalize Hong Kong for sins that effectively are not its making and shouldn't be, in my view, uh, its problem. Um, I'd like to see Hong Kong as being, I suppose, in a way a little bit like Switzerland, um, being neither one or the other. Um, It's really always been run apolitically. Hong Kong has never been a political uh, territory or country or or, or whatever you want to describe it. I mean, our politics is business. Um, And I hope that that remains the situation certainly in my lifetime. 
Uh, Rick, what are some of the uh, misconceptions that American lawyers have about uh, functioning or doing business in either in Hong Kong or, or in China more broadly? Well, off the top of my head, uh, you know, one, one always hears, and I travel back and forth to America, uh, as, as Nick knows. I, I, I was in Los Angeles talking at the British American Business Council uh, two weeks ago, where I had the great pleasure of, of listening to, to Mr. Mezarau, Thomas Mezarau, speak, a very inspirational um, speaker he is indeed, and I'm, I'm very much regret I didn't get a chance to meet him. But, um, you know, for instance, as I say, Hong Kong's been, been voted the freest economy for the last 10 years. In a poll, I can't remember which poll it was. Um, we have zero corruption in Hong Kong. We have the most effective anti-corruption um, organization that, that, that is world known. Um, again, we have a rule of law. We have a civil service. Uh, it's all a throwback. It's not a Chinese invention. And I really do believe that, that, that as far as getting a fair play, as far as getting as, as, as close as you get to, to, to what I would describe as an American system, and the delivery of American justice, you would get in, 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 in a quick, efficient, fair, fair manner in Hong Kong. Excuse me, Roderick, you'll have to listen to our last week's show on Lawyer to Lawyer. We had Thomas Mezzaro as one of our guests. Oh, really? I, I didn't realize that. <laughs> and, Nick, uh, it's pretty much time for us to wrap up the program, so we'd like to get your final thoughts uh, and your contact information for our guests, so if you can give us an overall perspective on what your trip meant and uh, the changes that are, have happened and or you expect to occur in the future, and give us your contact information, and then we'll turn to Roderick. Sure. Uh, again, it's Nicholas Conan, last name C-O-N-N-O-N. Uh, my phone number is area code 213-629-8712. Email n c o n n o n at c o n n o n w o o d dot com, and the uh, website for the firm is www.connownwood.com. That's Condonwood dot com. Um, you know, I, I think uh, uh, all of us uh, were very impressed, um, you know, with the uh, development of the legal community, particularly in Shanghai. Like Roderick has said, Hong Kong has a, a, a well-established legal community, and and uh, uh, but uh, in in Shanghai, we had um, we were very impressed by the uh, the energy and the. Uh, uh, the, the the interest and the desire to continue to develop a legal system that provides stability, predictability, enforceability, and, and access to legal process and and use of uh, uh, of the legal system to to really solve disputes. There's still you know issues that um, uh, as in any. Uh, system that is changing, any system that is developing. Uh, China is a very decentralized uh, country, uh, even though it has a central government. Uh, uh, many of the enforcement decisions and the uh, legal uh, process are handled at the provincial and the local level. And so uh, it takes a while for a system to uh, fully uh, uh, evolve uh, into the type of system that I think the business community here in the United States is hoping uh, it will evolve into for predictability and stability, like I said. But I see a lot of, uh, of great promise uh, in, in what we learned and what we saw and the people we spoke with when we were over in China. I think that um, if China continues to, uh, to evolve uh, from you know, where it's been even five years to the present at a similar pace, uh, this is going to be uh, an area that 
is going to uh, be a great source of, uh, of growth within the legal community. And obviously, as our two countries continue to uh, do uh, business together, I think China is the third uh, uh, lar- largest uh, trader of the United States behind China and, or behind Canada and Mexico. Uh, you're going to see more legal disputes and an enmeshing of the legal systems that uh, I think is an area that all legal practitioners are going to have to become familiar with and uh, and will have to deal with in the future. Well, it's nice to hear that Shanghai has turned from a verb to a noun. Uh, Roderick, you have um, the last opportunity here to wrap up and provide us with your final thoughts and your contact information so our listeners can reach you. Okay, just just, just can I just say one thing, that, 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 that although... Nick quite rightly says that we have a very developed legal system in, in Hong Kong. We have now, over the last couple of years, got direct access to China. That doesn't prohibit um, overseas attorneys plying their trade to a certain extent in Hong Kong. In fact, Hong Kong one has one of the most liberal um, uh, attitudes to, to overseas attorneys. We have a specific system where foreign registered lawyers can come in and, and, and ply their own trade and work closely with Hong Kong lawyers. So I, I wouldn't want to, to, to scare any, anybody in the legal fraternity that wanted to come to Hong Kong and, and, and do business there. It's very easily done. Um, and that's something I work very closely with overseas lawyers. Um, and it was a great pleasure, by the way, to have the, the LA Bar, County Bar Association um, over as, as, as guests. But anyway, that's, uh, I've, as I said, I'm born and brought up in Hong Kong. I've, I've been applying my trade as a lawyer for nearly 20 years. Uh, uh, my my details are my name is Rod Miller. My website address is um, www.miller m i l l e r p e t t e a r t dot com. And the best way to get hold of me twenty four seven is my cell phone, which um, much to my wife's chagrin is on all the time. Eight five two is the code for Hong Kong. Nine zero three seven eight seven seven four. If you want to go on the website, there's all different kinds of stuff about this new legislation that I've been talking about. Maybe useful. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much uh, to all of our guests, uh, Nick Nick Conan, Rod Miller, and then earlier in the program, Malcolm McNeil and Neville Anderson. It's been. Uh, an enlightening discussion on uh, on legal issues in China. And uh, thank you all for participating. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Craig, uh, I guess that does it for our show. We've gone a little bit over today, so uh, we'll wrap it up and uh, talk to you next week. We'll see you then, Bob, and hopefully get the chance to travel to Russia soon. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.